0: If you would like to support the Guy Jeans Podcast, please write a review on iTunes or Google Reviews and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you have questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, or would like to be a guest on the podcast, please email us at GuyJeansPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Bart Hall with a different kind of commercial. Yes, I'm going to talk about the Bart Hall Show March 29th to April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. It's called the granddaddy of them all for a reason. But in 1946, when my parents, Fred and Lois Hall, decided to produce an outdoor recreation event, there were no guidelines. So they just started celebrating what they loved, and that continues to this day. We produce these shows because we share the passion for outdoor recreation that everyone that comes to our event shares with us. People that come to our shows are good people, and the world needs more of them. Yes, we have tons of boats, the best fishing tackle, great deals at exotic hunting and fishing destinations. But the most important thing is that we will provide a full day of outdoor recreation family fun. Make new family memories March 29th to April 2nd at the Long Beach Convention Center. Details at hallshows.com. That's hallshows.com. It's a Guy Jeans podcast.
1: this podcast to talk to interesting and motivating people, living and manifesting their passions and ambitions into reality. I've always said, if you're passionate and love what you do, you will be successful. My guest today is a super fishy human. He loves to catch all species on a fly and he's damn good at it. He's a captain and a guide and he guides for both salt and freshwater fish. He's the former manager of the Fly Stop Fly Shop in San Diego, and he's currently a sales rep for Sage, Rio, Reddington, Fishpond, Pond, T Tibor, and Rep Your Water. So without further ado, my next guest, Alex Cady. How's it going, Alex? I'm doing good. Yourself, Guy? I'm doing good, man. Nice. Glad you're here in my studio. Um, we just did a little uh, sales presentation because you're the rep for um, Sage, Reddington, Grundens, Rio, Rio. Fish Pond, Tibor. Yeah. Thank you, yes. And uh, so I want to talk about all that for sure and everything. But uh, for those people that don't know, who is Alex Katie?
2: <laughs> well, I've been fishing, I mean, going on almost probably 30 years now. You know, little kid was doing it growing up. In uh, Orange County, but I fished with my grandpa up in Oregon, also fishing, growing up fishing this Sierra in Nevada, you know, bass fishing, tuna, pretty much any, anything under the stars I tried for with a fly rod.
1: Uh-huh. And did you grow up in uh, Southern California?
2: Yep. I grew up in Southern California, and then in um, 2003, I moved up to Mammoth, and I worked out of the trout fitter and guided up there for about 12 years before moving to uh, San Diego to do a bunch of guiding and running the uh, fly stop down there. And then this last year I took over the, or um, I'm running a, or I'm the uh, assistant sales rep for uh, Alex Ramirez running the um, California, Nevada, and Arizona. So I mainly run Arizona and Southern California.
1: You got, uh, how many accounts do you think you have?
2: Uh, Fly accounts. I'm at Nine for uh-huh. me, yeah, and then I've got a bunch of conventional counts that is over 40.
1: That's crazy, huh? Yeah. yeah, you're getting calls at all times of the day, and
2: sometimes, yeah. some days, you know, it's yeah, I call it like hatches a lot of times. It's yeah. two days you <laughs> don't see good. anything, then all right. of a sudden they all want to call just at the same time. So, did you go to uh the Clearwater House yes, Guide I School? Yes, I did. Oh. I went out in 04. How was that? Who's actually really cool. It's still actually um the Clearwater, well, it's the year that they made the change over from the Clearwater House to the Clearwater House in the Pit River. Actually, yeah. we were the last people to stay at the original Clearwater House um, there because they made a mistake and they overbooked the the lodge, so we had to go over stay with Dick at the original uh Clearwater House on Hat Creek, which is really fun actually because they've got A really cool stretch of water. So every evening you can go and tool on some trout when you get done doing all your guiding school stuff.
1: That's cool. Who were the instructors there at that time?
2: Oh man, so that would be, um, I was Gino on that one, Andrew. Okay. I believe Dax had just started on that one. Tom uh-huh. April, uh, okay, Mike Peters. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the OGs of, sure. of the yeah. world on that one.
1: Yeah, you got some good schooling on that for sure. Yeah, huh? and,
2: and i you know i fished with like Tom April and Mike Peters and yeah. and a few of those guys already, so I'd already known them. But it's like it was good to get their input on guiding from there. It just gave me that much more knowledge.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had uh, some friends go through that same school and they loved it too. So after you did that, you went back to the Trout Fitter and started working there?
2: Yep, I go started up. doing guiding. They had me doing um, just beginner trips to start out with because uh-huh. they didn't want to bring you to upper class yet, you know, getting your feet, getting used to people, how to deal with them, how to teach them. And then once you can teach those people, you can go up from there and do more guide trips, up there doing from the East Walker, Crowley Lake, I mean, all over the place. Do you remember
1: your first guide trip?
2: So <laughs> how was it? <laughs> my first. I did two trips on that one. I helped out a gentleman, uh, Pat Yeager. Oh yeah. I was walking down fishing the East Walker, and I saw Pat there. So I sat down, I was trying to learn from him. He turns over to me. He's like, "What are you doing there, Alex? Get out here!" <laughs> so he sent me out with one of his clients, and we were fishing. And it was a big water day. I was blowing. It was probably three seventy-five to four hundred cfs. Trying to stand in the me- middle of the Meadow Run. The gentleman that was, that was guiding it, they that was a larger guy. So he was able to stand in that, no problem, sitting there struggling, trying, uh-huh. trying to break water in front of him for him to fish. But it was a fun time. Was this on uh, Hot Creek? or No, that was East Walker. Oh, East Walker. Okay. Yep. And then the next one was really fun. It was uh, one of the guys up there, Ty C.A., uh, his boat broke down. So he needed mine. He's like, hey, since you need to do shadow work, come on out with me. So I was with a gentleman who worked with uh, – uh, was a flight instructor. And actually, I believe he did, also did flight instructors for uh, for Top Gun, too. And, oh, yeah. uh, and his daughter on that one, and we crushed it that day. I mean, lots of good fish. They each got, you know, four or five-plus fish in the 20-inch range. She got, like, a 23-inch, 24-inch brown trout, which is the largest of her life. So it was... It's pretty hard when you have that kind of trip to uh, go into the rest of guiding. Yeah. So you were doing the Walker. Uh,
1: did you do Hot Creek a little bit too? Oh yeah, or a lot Creek, of Hot
2: Creek. Owens. Yep, a ton of Owens. Back when they were stocking a lot. I mean, you were having uh-huh. amazing days for just numbers of fish. It's a great place to take people and to get people into fly fishing. Yeah. A lot of days on the San Joaquin too, which is like one of the most beautiful fisheries around. I still love. That's still probably one of my favorite places to fish up there. Yeah on it so you
1: guided there for how long 12 years 12 years and then decided to head into the saltwater game
2: yep changing up things Mm -hmm. uh got a little stir crazy during the winters Uh you know
1: were you doing the snowboarding thing too like i
2: was a little bit but not a ton i had my pass and i'd hit it up before or after work but it was not the reason i moved there i moved there for the summers and fishing yeah i wanted to be a guide um I kind of preface this to how I wanted to be yeah. come a guy As back when Crowley was just kind of becoming what it is, you know, the indicator game was just starting to do his thing as his early nineties on this one. And one of the gentlemen's up there, Kevin Peterson, yeah, he has this old aluminum boat with the pulling platform. Everybody that's been fishing the lake will know that lake without <laughs> without even me saying anything else. So. Yeah. We pull out there. It's in my dad's ski boat. We're starting to fish. My dad hops out, goes in his float tube, and he likes pulling streamers all the time. I'm trying to figure out the midge game. And to show even how long ago, this is when Kent Rionda still had his red speedboat. He didn't have his boat that he has nowadays. He had a red speedboat for and those. The river.
1: That, those that don't know, Kent Rianda is the owner of the trout fitter, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well,
2: no, and this Before he's yeah. guiding and all that other yeah. stuff. Um, and so I'm out there. Ken pulls up next to me. You know, He asked me. He's like, hey, can I fish here? I'm like, yeah, go for it. And he just starts slaughtering fish next to me. I'm just like, oh my gosh, another one, another one. He looks at me, like, hey, kid, cast your line over <laughs> hey here. Kid. So I threw a line over there. He rigged it up. Take a look at it. saw it. Boom, first cast out. Just uh-huh. starts slaying fish. I'm like, I want to be like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That gentleman, and they, now he's one of my good friends. So yeah. it's it's kind of how funny how that all yeah. comes around in circle.
1: Well, all those guys that you're talking about, you know, uh, Pat Yeager, mm-hmm. Kevin Peterson. Um, Kent Rihonda, um uh, Thomas April, mm-hmm. um all those guys are all OGs, man. They're they're all, they're up there now, yeah. right? They're are they pushing sixties
2: now, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Some up there. I mean it's yeah. those guys are the guys. Those guys have been doing
1: it a long time. Yeah. yeah. When it's you pretty. sit there
2: and you you've seen a guy and <laughs> on their guidebook it says like one hundred <laughs> yeah, and you're right. just like, Holy cow, mine's like ten thousand. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> right. know somebody's been doing it for a while. Yeah. It's That's cool pretty seeing cool. Tom Pepis one. I think his is like Number five or six. Wow! I got to see that guy license. That was really cool.
1: Wow! What a trip, man. So tell me about uh, transferring from Mammoth to doing saltwater. Was that was there a big difference in how you were approaching everything? Of course, I mean the, the fish species are different and everything. But how about how the guiding was? And I mean, Ooh, how, how was it for you? Not uh, too bad, actually.
2: Yeah. Um, because I grew up I grew up fishing those bays down there and everything else. My uncle had a big bow. He did tune in everything. So it was just like easy to get back into it. And it was easy to start out with. The biggest change for me is making sure I've got people that know how to cast. Yeah. Like, that's probably the biggest thing I have to teach is where trout fishing normally, you don't have to have the best casts in the world. As long as you can hit 20 or 30 feet, you can get fish. Um, real easy. Where out there, I need a lot, be able to cast a lot and be able to get out 50, 60 feet pretty consistently. Right. Um, so that, that was probably the biggest transition for me. But the fishing-wise and all the other stuff-wise, it's, it's yeah. what I did growing up.
1: Yeah. And so uh, what are the species you're, you were guiding for?
2: Um, uh, man. <laughs> it's almost easier to say what I didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, but I do a lot of bay fishing. So you're spotted bay bass, sand bass, calico bass halibut, corbina, corvina, um, croaker species. So cool. Yeah. I mean, we've had just, days where you get 16 different species in a day. That's you know I mean? so crazy, man. Yeah. Those bays are probably the most untouched fisheries in California, especially San Diego Bay. When I can go out there and be like, yeah, it's a tough day. I got 25 fish. Yeah. People are like, what? Yeah, am like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like two weeks ago we were getting 150 a day and people are just like, huh?
1: So do you go out there and, and target one specific species or are you just kind of going oh. and think to some structure and, yeah. and, and you never know what you're going to get? Yeah, or?
2: there's days where people want like, oh, I want to get halibut today. Or I want to get corvina, yeah. or we want to get, you know, the bonefish that that are in there too. Right. And we'll try after them and you almost always will get spotties there. Yeah. I mean, the spotties are always there. It's just... Uh, you will change tactics in places to get bigger spotties. You'll fish more hard structure and stuff like that. Where you want numbers, you'll fish your softer bottoms and eelgrass edges. Your halibut, you want good drop-offs on those guys. Your mudder, muddy and sandy bottoms and a lot of bait fish. Corvina, you see them blowing up on the bo- on the top sometimes, highly aggressive. Mm-hmm. Bonefish, shallower water, weed, bedge- weed beds in like 4 to 10 feet of water. Sometimes they'll be out in deeper, but... Um, it all changes. It's it's a forever learning game out there. But normally, you can right. always find the spotties that want to play.
1: Yeah, and you guys down in that in the San Diego Bay, you guys would find bonefish, huh?
2: Yeah, there's a Cortez species of bonefish down there. They don't get monstrous. Yeah, they'll get up to like 18 inches is the biggest I've gotten out of there. but I've heard guys getting like 21 inches. Are, are, are you they
1: sight fishing for them?
2: Or Not really. I have found okay. a couple places where we have found them sight fishing. Oh, yeah, um, but most of the time they're in deeper water and they're we kind of key in on them, but we're getting spotties and everything else, and all of a sudden you get one that lights up a little bit, and you're like, "Oh, whoa, that's something a little different."
1: So, talk about the uh, the calicos out there. Are you, so, you're, are you going out of uh, San Diego Bay for those as well, or are you are you going up a little bit farther north and cruising around the jetties and? That sort of thing. What are you doing for those? Okay.
2: So when I, it's two kind of conf- different fisheries. Actually, there's almost three different fisheries for calico fishing. Yeah. So like we're the San Diego Bay area is, most of the time we will be fishing. You have the Zuniga Jetty, which fishes similar to the Long Beach Breakwall up out of the L.A. Newport area, L.A. Orange County area. Yeah. But mainly you're fishing a lot of kelp for us out there. Fishing like 50, 60 feet of water, these kelp edges, looking for blife and bait fish in the right conditions out there. Um, And then you have your other fisheries up north, the break wall, and that's harder structure on that one. So we're fishing usually like 50 feet of water, but we're casting to hard structure because it drops off really quickly. I mean, it drops off like five to eight feet per two feet. So Mm -hmm. if you, you cast or it's like two feet away from the wall, it's like five, six feet deep. Yeah, You know, four feet away from it, it's like 10 feet deep. Right, And that's where those fish really hang. And then you have your island fishing, which you're fishing right up against the shore. Working, rocks. Fishing yeah, yeah. the rocks, where you can yeah. be on you know, 50 feet of water, or you can be sitting in like five, six feet of water at times. So it's it's a bunch of different fisheries that you can fish for the calico bass in.
1: Those, those uh, calico bass, it really interests me, man. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and he was talking about how you Know a, uh, a four pound fish is an old fish, yeah, and in uh, and, and you know, just uh, uh, get you know, just the, how old they are for you know, um, how big they are is pretty amazing,
2: yeah. It's yeah. a slow growing fish. I mean, the, yeah. a lot of the guys that conventionally fish for them, they have a saying set that says slow to grow, so let them go. Nice, and that one. so we get you know, it's actually kind of looked down upon when you get like you know five six seven pounders and you keep one it's kind of like really like you really catch old yeah things been around you know we'd rather keep the the you know you're smaller you're 15 16 yeah. 17 18 inch fish right. it would be your better eating fish mm-hmm. um, we want those big guys because that that fish at six seven eight pounds could be 25 plus years old that's crazy on that.
1: yeah <laughs> i mean and they're just mean little buggers too they they're so fun to catch i love catching them so what what type of flies are you using for those calicos? Do you have a special fly that you tie that you that you've done, or do you have you know, um, it's specific a flies of, that you use?
2: It's a lot of offshoots with of like the Calico Syndicate guys use, uh-huh. Bill Calhoun, Dave mm-hmm. Matthews, Von Podmore, uh-huh. um, Dave Valdez, Sculpin Head heavy flies. Yeah. I tend to like tan and oranges are my go-to color on that, and then. Um, I will fish, you know, conventional colors on that one, your mm-hmm. um, your lighter colors, your bait fish colors, your olives, um, your bluebacks, stuff like that. Um, but mainly it's your oranges, an orange base, orange and brown, orange and tan, orange and black, orange and olive. They mm-hmm. really tend to like that that orange, in my opinion.
1: And in, in the tail has got to be, I mean, it's a heavy fly in the, in the head. Yeah. So you're casting against the structure, it drops straight down basically. Right. Yes. Or kind of at an angle. Yes. At the, times. The, yeah. At
2: times. Um, but there's other times where you need to change it up where they want a horizontal or they want a vertical presentation. Oh, yeah. okay. So I'll fish a lot of game-changer style flies okay. or even a, like a double bunny styles without any weight because they want that to hover right there in front of their face at times. So that's probably one thing I fish a lot more than some of the other guys is completely unweighted flies.
1: Were you talking earlier about using a bobber? Yeah, we're doing
2: saltwater nymphing out yeah. there. so <laughs> Yeah, we're taking like... I need to get heavier rods. I should get some sevens and eight weights and that for Uh doing these. Our biggest problem is getting the right jig hooks that can stand up to these fish. Uh, Because one thing we should preface calico bass-wise is, I like to say every pound that you put on a calico bass is a 10% chance that you're not going to be able to land or stop it. So if you get a five-pound hook into a five-pound fish, you have a 50-50 chance of stopping that fish from getting into the structure. You hook an eight plus... You've only got a 20% chance of dragging yeah. him out of there. Uh-huh. I mean, we there's, as I know of, nobody, at least in California waters, has landed a 10-pound calico up against structure on a fly rod.
1: It just digs back, digs in. I,
2: I've, I've hooked them where I've hooked and they pin me and have actually been dragging the front of my boat in like four or five feet. <laughs> I watched one at Catalina. I know it's over 10-pound-plus fish. Um, it came up. I hooked a smaller one. And out of nowhere, as I'm finding this small one, I mean, I'm completely bent over, pulling as hard as I can to drag him out of the kelp. This missile that looked like a submarine T boned this poor calico. Like, this <laughs> other calico is two or three pounds, which wasn't a bad fish. Yeah. And it looked like a train hitting a cart, folded it in half. The fly came out, and I oh, came off balance. And by the time I got reset, the fish had already eaten my fly and was heading the other direction. I wasn't able to get my arm up before it pinned me. And had me up against the side of my boat, and just dragged the front of my nose boat into <laughs> about five feet, so it could get back into the kelp, and I couldn't get it out of there. Wow! So that was another calico. Yeah, eating worked, that I, one. Eating yeah, that one. It tried to eat it. Yeah. And then my fly came undone from it. Okay. That's how aggressive they can be at times. It's uh-huh. like they will hit the other fish to get the fly out of that, so it can eat whatever it's eating. On A that trip. one, unlike trout, where trout you hook on, everybody goes run away. Yeah. Calico goes. What am no, I missing no, out on? Yeah. I want, I want, I want a part of that. Right. That's actually how you hook your bigger fish. Listening and talking to some of the other calico guys, conventional guys that want to avoid hooking small calicos, they will start to get a. Get fish follow them and they'll reel them by them and they'll get away and then all of a sudden they'll see a big one come out of the bottom and then they'll drop it and have a big guy eat it oh okay that's the, a lot of the competition guys do that's really cool and that's more island fishing than we do that's what we do at the islands or at kelp lines where you can actually kind of see and fish in higher in the water column compared to the harder structure your jetties and stuff like that where we fish normally down deeper because they like hiding in those rocks more what's a good tide Honestly, tide moving. Um, tide for me, moving. I tend to like at least three feet of tide. More like four or five. There are times where a key can get too much tide. I think like yeah. when you get like too six much feet. Moving. Yeah, <clears throat> and the fish don't can't get comfortable moving up and down, or it's just moving so much water. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be great for your other species. You know, bonita, barracuda, yellowtail. They love that monster tides like that. But sometimes I can put down the calicos. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Probably four to five feet of tide movement is my favorite, and I tend to like fishing the rock walls. Yeah. I tend to like um, the um, outgoing tide a little bit more. Okay. Personally, that's when I've caught my bigger fish because it seems like the fish stay up a little bit closer. On that one, and kind of hopscotch their way down because the insects and other cre- creatures that they're feeding on are trying to move down and out, and also the kelp there becomes a little less to deal with.
1: I saw a video one time of you, and I didn't know you very well, but I saw a video of you just sticking uh, Calico after Calico off a, a rock jetty or something. Oh, that I, was, I think you were by yourself, and you had a video camera set up or something, but you're just, ah! You that was the... Go, uh, go down
2: a little further, Argh! That <laughs> was the OG days. That, was, that was, a, was fun, man. Right before Calico Syndicate put out their uh, yeah. Calico movie, and that's kind of how I got to meet a lot of those guys. Yeah. And I knew kind of Bill a little bit beforehand i knew dave valadez from coming up to mammoth on that one but when yeah. i did that video kind of like i became friends with keith and everybody else on that one Uh
1: huh. that was that was cool video man what's better day or night for calicos
2: night. night no it's not even a question i mean especially at their jetties and their rock walls at night um yeah. during the day can be really good at your uh at your, the islands and your kelp bed fishing, because uh-huh. it's more tide-based, and actually that heap hel- helps bring the fish up. Okay. But the walls where, like, us as fly fishermen have the best chance of getting into big fish, Long Beach Breakwall, it's night. Nighttime, night, huh? Nighttime, yeah. I've, I've landed hundreds of calicos in the eight-pound class at night. Really? When it's low light, I've only landed one during the day. Wow.
1: What a great little fishery there, huh? Oh, it's. I mean, it's unbelievable.
2: It's incredible. I've got fishery. to do.
1: I've done it once mm-hmm. uh, with Vaughn.
2: Nice, yeah. Well, Vaughn's the yeah. OG at yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah, and
1: it was uh, it was pretty ridiculous. And I was mm-hmm. with the Bueller brothers when we did it, and they're all, like, dude, it's a slow night, and I'm like, slow. You know, we're catching fish, but it's. They're all, like, no, it's kind of slow, and I'm like, oh. But uh, what a blast, man! Yeah, I'm, i I it, I would love to do that again.
2: Yeah, For sure. I'd love to get you out there, but it was kind of funny. Like, started to do that. I did it a while back. I mean. 12, 13 years ago, I think I did it for the first time. I did it with a gentleman that uh, worked at the fisherman spot, David Ratchetford. We thought, hey, dude, like let's go out at night. Like I've kind of heard a couple of the guys talk about it here and yeah. there, but it's like, oh, it's been tough. I knew conventional guys did it at night, and they crushed it. And Dave talked me into it, and we went to uh, the Marina Del Rey little break wall. They have a little break wall right there. Got there, started fishing for like the first 30 minutes. We got like one small two pounder, Dave did. And I was like, okay, this is eh. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, wham.
1: You got a good one.
2: I got an eight pounder. Started, I'm like, okay. Didn't get anything the rest of that night. And i like, okay, this is showing some promise. And I started bringing it out to a Long Beach break wall. And it was really good. Like every night I was getting sevens and eights yeah. for a while. And it's actually different than what it is nowadays. Because I never used to get eights on the inside of the wall. I only got twos and threes, you know, occasional fours here and there. And if you want big fish, you had to go to the outside of the wall. Mm-hmm. But now it's, <clears throat> we're getting a lot of big fish out there. You know, like Glenuit has been just crushing it recently. Yeah. And he's getting a lot of tanks from inside the wall. Yeah, um, Gentleman that worked at Bob Marriott's, Jeff Fernandez, you know, he's the one yeah. that kind of like showed me that the inside of the wall was fishable because it took me years to get those guys out there Yeah, doing that.
1: Huh. What other species... Are you fishing for Are you doing any of the, the Mako
2: stuff? Oh, yeah. Or, or, yeah, t- yep. talk about that. Makos always have a <clears throat> place in my heart. Yeah? More than any other kind of fishing, it's, um, it's big game hunting. It's not, yeah. normally most of the time you're, you're trying to hunt after the fish. Mako shark fishing, the sharks are hunting you. So we.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've experienced it once. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you have to head out there. We look for the right things. You're looking for life. You're looking for current edges, temperature breaks, you know, um, undulations in the bottom. All these different things are putting together to be like, okay, this looks like a good spot. Everything looks right. And pretty much once you set up there, you're you're there. I mean, you're not leaving that slick for a solid two to three hours. At times, I mean, you're just chumming. Yep, yeah, yeah. chumming, working away, yeah. you know, seeing life, everything else. Sometimes, you know, you're lucky enough to get, you know, Yellowtail or Bonita to move in there. If you're really lucky, a couple of years ago, we had Bluefin tuna on us and we we're catching 100 plus pound blue, Bluefin. Wow. Just F- following seven,
1: the chum? Yeah.
2: No way. Which is really cool on that one. But the goal is to see that makeup. And when you're sitting there and all of a sudden you see that blue streak come rolling up, it's. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how big they are, they can be, you know, 10 pounds or. A thousand pounds. Yeah, they've always are just like mean. They're alpha. Yeah, until something bigger comes in. Yeah, it's just cool to see that 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 confidence oozing from a fish.
1: Right. God, man. It's the ugh. the uh, the time I did it. The the fish uh, came by and looked at me, and then circled the boat, and then I cast to it. You know, that's a trip.
2: Yeah, you yeah. don't <laughs> cast right off the bat because it's like you kind of need to figure out the quarry. I mean, right. we're sitting there with you know. 10, 12, 14, 16, and, you know, these custom-made monster rods that we use yeah. to handle these creatures because you don't know it's going to be a 15-pounder rolling up or a 1,000-pounder rolling up. Mm-hmm. So, you, and 1,000-pounders are their own animals. I mean, you just pretty much cross cross yeah. your fingers and play that he does something stupid that gives you a chance to land uh, <laughs> land em. Like We had one um, trip I did for Dave Trimble with one of his good clients. We rolled out, and... I didn't see the shark. It didn't show its fin right off the bat because it was a windy day. It was pretty snotty out, overcast. This shark shot up so fast. And it's probably about 600 pounds, 12-foot-long you know, shark. But I called the do- the shark uh, Danny Trejo
0: because he had
2: <laughs> these two white scars on either side right behind his eyes. Uh-huh. And that's like the only way I was really able to see him. So he shot up. I was like, well, that's a seal. No, that is a big shark. (laughs) I was like, okay. I was like, all right, let me get the teaser ready. I'm like, hey, that client, I can't remember his name right now. He, I'm like, throw out, tease him up and let's see if he'll eat. So he threw out there. Thankfully, like he knew what he was doing. So he's like, tease, tease. He's like, I think the shark's going to eat. I turn around and I just watch him eat. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Goes in there and he sets the hook like money. And I think the crazier thing is when he set the hook, the shark turned over and looked at us. <laughs> and he well, kind of looks at it and goes, sorry.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, boom, run over the car, get it started up and start. Because normally I want to have the boat on when we hook a fish like that. I didn't yeah. think it was going to happen. Yeah. So we hooked that put boat and start putting it in gear. The shark turns around and starts following us. <laughs> Swims underneath the boat, turns over to the side kind of like looks at us, goes underneath the underside, looks at us and goes like, really? Uh-huh. And then just slowly turns away. Doesn't go fast at all. You know, like normal makos where you see the oh hook and jumping. Yeah. You're running 50 miles, 50 miles an hour, jumping 10, 20 plus feet yeah. in the air.
1: Right. The
2: shark just turned off and just proceeded to dump 500 plus yards of drag without even slowing down or batting an eye. Did you guys get to turn them at all? Yeah, Never like, even had a chance. At, when yeah. Usually when sharks do that, yeah, it's game over us on the flyer. We want to see this spectacular airborne no jumps, and they want them to blow themselves out. Because if they run like that, it's kind of like a sprint. They blow themselves out, we can get on top of them and have a chance of landing them, you know, in a decent amount of time. When they sink down and they just go down to the bottom,
1: yeah, you ain't
2: moving that yeah, thing yeah, at yeah. all. We're, we're hilariously outgunned. I mean, yeah. even our heaviest fly rods are maybe the equivalent of a 30-pound outfit. And these guys that are fishing for those things are using 150-pound outfits and still getting smoked. Yeah, So... So We're the, just hoping and praying.
1: The flies that you guys are using for the Makos, they're they're pretty big, if I remember. They're like uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a foot long or longer. Oh yeah, yeah, and all yeah. like uh, red colors and yeah, red. yeah. Is they tend
2: what? to like brighter colors on them. Yeah. We're not trying to imitate anything at that yeah. point. It's, you know, your yellow, yum, yum, yellow, your reds, oranges are like your, your go-to colors. The yeah. cool thing is when you can get them fired up, most of the time they're going to eat subsurface, you know, yeah. a foot or two. But we're almost always watching the fish take. But the cool thing is if you can get them fired up enough, and that's where we use a teaser... On that one? Yeah, it is
1: a spinning rod teaser, right? Yep, spinning rod. I actually use
2: conventional because I can control conventional better on that one. But it's just some sort of teaser with, um, I know Conway uses a little swim bait on his at times. Mm -hmm. I used a mackerel on mine. Just something to get them going, get them really fired up. And then we kind of do a bait and switch with a foam fly on there that sits on the surface we'll even use popper parents and they'll actually come out and eat it it's kind nice. of funny like every once in a while you'll get an aggressive eat but most of the time it's like watching a trout eat a trica they just come up and go <laughs> and yeah. just turn down
1: that's bitching man
2: yeah, yeah it's it's such a different thing because you can hook these fish multiple times it's not like yeah. one and done you hook a fish like yeah. hook a trout they're like oh see it's done you've only pissed him off yeah I, you can sometimes hook some of these fish we had one where he hooked the fish must have been about 10 times wow and he's just kept on coming back to the boat. That's crazy. So they, they give you a lot of chances on there. It's, and
1: and that's a that season is usually summertime.
2: Yeah. It's, it's been changing a little bit. Like we've seen massive changes and even in my short time, guys have been doing it forever on that one. Um have seen bigger changes, but it usually is June. Beginning of June all the way through till November on mm-hmm. that one is the is the seasons. And there'll be Primes. It depends on water temps. and those waters get really warm, well in the seventies, you know, seventy-five plus, we stop seeing as many. We'll start seeing hammerheads, but we also get a lot of tuna and other stuff too. What are the
1: hammerheads like? Have you caught any of them?
2: Uh, oh, they're the they're gnarly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're way stronger than a mako. Yeah. On that thing, they they're drag busters. Yeah. On that thing, and they're they're normally anywhere between about hundred and fifty on the small side to about five six hundred. And they're, they're little
1: terrors, aren't they? Oh, man. They're, they're aggro, like, yeah, but aggro. they're But they're word.
2: very finicky at times, too, because uh-huh. their whole bonnet on there and ampullae yeah. of Lorenzini, they can sense anything. So they'll, they'll come running in real hot, and then all of a sudden they sense something from the boat, and they're like 100 feet out, and they go, no, I'm over it. Or they'll come racing in 1,000 miles, do one circle, and you'll throw your fly from them. They'll come up to the fly, and they'll sweep their head over it, and they'll sense something, and then gone. And like, what the heck? yeah it, they're very all over the place, so it's like usually when you got it got into hammer time, it was like when you got one it was like, yeah, we got one, we scored I love it, so let's
1: talk carp Ooh, my <laughs>
2: favorite
1: um, so uh we've we've uh, both have competed in a really fun uh, carp tournament uh called the carp Throwdown mm-hmm. and uh, put on by al Q and Conway Bowman and uh, that's been a fun. That's uh, been a, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Is go they they do
2: run it. a really good event. Yeah. I always like to say like, and like I said, the Carp Fest up here too. It's yeah. two parties with a tournament squished in between. Yes. Is the yeah. best way to put it. It's, it's a yeah. good group of people out there. Everybody. Exactly. It's not serious trout fishermen. We're like, yeah. ooh, it's only, I only fish a dry fly on it. We're yeah. like, yeah, we fish them on Squirmed <laughs> Warriors today. And you're like, yeah, dear, are you hooking them? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, perfect. Because we know it's carp make you become a better angler by far right people that are catching carp are doing something right so that means you're figuring things out you know Mm -hmm. what you're doing you're a good guy on that one and also you can lower yourself to catching carp which i don't think it's raising yourself up but a lot of people think you're looking yourself you know doing that it's it's a love so lake henshaw yes
1: so (laughs) what what is it about that place that makes that place so special
2: so it became originally like John Hendrickson was the guy that kind of founded all that. John, yes, yep, of course. Good old John yeah. uh, on there. And um, it was about the hopper hatch there. Yes. Was what it was. And we just haven't been getting the same hopper hatch that we've had out there. But and that, but the hopper hatch is the claim of fame. You, you, know, you go out there and you'd see these carp with heads out of the water, almost their eyes looking out of the water, hunting down. It's like almost... Being on a trout stream in Montana during the first week of hopper season, and you're throwing against the bank, and bank, and these fish are, you know, launching themselves and finding the hoppers, and that's how it was. So I made these fish, and you know, we saw a decent fish. You know, every once in a while, you get like a twenty-six or twenty-seven inch fish. I'm like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then things have been changing. Like we haven't been seeing the hopper hatches as much as we had, but when we had those big water years a few years ago, five years ago, I believe, yeah, that were like raised up so much. And then the fish just start getting exponentially bigger. Like beforehand, my my biggest fish, even like our other friend Dustin Sargent's bigger fish, is like 28 inches. Well, I went out there, started fishing it hard, and I was getting five, six fish in the 30-inch range a day. And we're all like, "What what's happening? But mm-hmm. we're not getting them on the drives, We're getting more on nymphs now and other stuff and shallower water stuff. But now I've been, the last few years, I've been getting them back on the dry bite again, which has been really fun. But we're also seeing these massive fish in shallows. So not only like the boat anglers are having great fishing, the walking weight guys are crushing it too. Sight fishing. And big fish. I mean, every time we're hooking into 30 plus inch fish, mm-hmm. which is for me beforehand at Henshaw, that was, you know, unheard of. Yeah.
1: That was, I remember the first time I, I competed in that, that tournament. It was, there was a great hopper hatch. It yeah. was, it was pretty cool. And, um, I was like, oh my God. I mean, they, it was like they were, they were like uh, blowing off. Uh, oops, somebody's going by. It was like uh, the, the breeze was blowing off the, the uh, hills and blowing. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, right? it comes it blow, right. It blows them into the, it blew the hoppers into the, yeah. and then it blows them out into the.
2: Out in the lake on that one. Yeah. So you usually get that one when you get the the wind coming up over the hills and dying yeah. down, and it hits over those fields. Yes. It blows over those hoppers and you'll be literally sitting out there. and it's, so weird from every other carp fishery because Henshaw changes so much in a day. Like, most carp fisheries that you go to, you can be like, oh, they're going to be on these flats. I can find them doing this flat stuff and things like that. You can do that at Henshaw, definitely. But to find your best numbers and your best fishing days you have to change with what the wind does Mm -hmm. because that'll bring in different insects or different stuff you know stuff blowing off the trees and leaves and algae they'll be feeding on that you know you get your insect hatches in there your midge hatches your hoppers and stuff like that and numerous different other insects that fly into the water and you as the wind picks up those insects start getting in there and these fish get on these lines so you'll be sitting out there drifting and you're getting pelted by hoppers in the water and you just see, all of a sudden you just see heads popping up everywhere.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. Yep. And it's like um, it's a scum line or something yeah. that, that forms off of some mm-hmm. of the points, right? And some yeah. of the trees. It's pretty much
2: just like on a river. Yeah, it's, it's just it's heady line and you could go yeah. out there and you'll just see a scum line going you're like, oh, that's a big scum line. Yeah. There's gonna be a fish on that. And there's, there's yeah, pl- and eventually it, somewhere on that drift. But yeah, like I said, that sometimes won't happen until the afternoon. You get out there in the morning and these fish are eating much slower doing clooping. And eating algae and other stuff off the surface and mainly on scum lines. And you have to be really tacky, really soft landing. And, you know, you have to put your fly in like a shot glass to get these fish to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and then the wind starts changing. Wind moves a little bit. The fish move to a little bit different area. I mean, fishing will shut down sometimes for like an hour. Yeah. And then wind will change again. Fish will shut down. And then all of a sudden you get the big gust coming in. And then that's when you're hunting that dry fly bite. And these fish are just... Literally moving, then they'll move. You know, two feet, three feet out of the way yeah. to eat flies. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible to see carp turn like that. And that's the big part is when those fish go like that. Those they turn, they act like nothing. No carp ever. I mean, you can have fifty fish, sixty fish days out there. Have you seen a carp
1: fishery better than that? Like as far as like um, top water stuff or.
2: Uh, not too much. Yeah. Um, I know you uh, talked with Chris Rich a little while ago. Yeah, we found a little carp fisher up there that was pretty unique. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Not very big fish in there, up to about twenty inch fish. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of clooping fish, just like Henshaw on that one. But I actually got outside of that, and I was like, I want to check out other stuff. I've done the clooping stuff. These <laughs> fish aren't quite into the um, the size range that I've wanted to. But I'm noticing other fish around here. I, I want to explore, so. I went out, you know, checked out a bunch of areas. Coming back, I was able to get up higher on my, uh, my bigger pontoon boat or my float tube on that one and look and stand up and look. And I was watching, and I see a little school of shad moving by. And I see a carp moving. I'm like, huh, what's he going to do? Like, he wasn't actively hunting him down, but he saw the school about two feet away. All of a sudden, this guy picked up speam and kicked and blew up onto it like a bass. I was like, what the heck just happened right there? That's insane. That's the most aggressive carp take I've ever seen. Okay. So I've seen him. I throw over by and I and I switched over to a little uh, nymph that looked like a little shad. Two strips. This thing shot at it like a bass. I was like, oh, this looks fun. Mm-hmm. So that's what, for the next two hours, I proceeded to chase shad balls around and getting carp like that.
1: So tell me your idea of like what you're thinking about a, a
2: carp comp. So... I've had this plan a little while ago before COVID kind of cut uh, closed everything down, but mm-hmm. I really want to get a uh, the carp comp circuit going. Yeah. So I want to involve, you know, multiple tournaments. Right now, ideally, you know, get carp fest, hopefully come along, get the Throwdown. hopefully mm-hmm. if it comes along or whatever tournament happens at Henshaw on that one. Yeah. And then also the guys at AZ, they run their carp rally. So I want, just like bass fishermen have a tournament, I want to have us to have an Absolutely. overall to show know yeah who's the best carp fish because you've got three pretty (laughs) different fisheries right right? here i mean isabella look your clear water a little bit more stealth on that one yeah then you have henshaw where you need to be accurate you need to kind of be on your game be on your game (laughs) and then dealing with the canals and being able to be mobile up at az and having shots at like 20 30 pound plus grass carp up there in these canals that sounds fun too i mean yeah and to have all these places within you know six hours of each other,
1: right? On it, yeah. So um, you're talking about AZ Fly Shop in, uh, in Arizona, yep. uh, the owner Chris Rich, who I've had on the podcast, um, he wants to be involved with the carp uh, competition. So mm-hmm. this carp comp, um, we're we're kind of waiting to see if they're going to ha- actually throw down, do the carp throwdown, throw down, throw down yep. the carp throwdown.
2: Yep. Hopefully, uh, it comes to yeah. there'll be there there'll, help, there'll be some tournament out there. Yeah. On that one. Yeah, and if you
1: guys have uh, you guys listening, if you've never uh, done um, the either one of the Carp Fest or Carp Throwdown, you've got to go check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's just it's really a big party with a bunch of carp uh, fly fishermen, and the fishing's usually pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. There, there's been a couple of years where it was yeah. kind of like uh because yeah. it was cold and whatnot, but um, for most part, um, all the years have been pretty yeah pretty I think, fantastic. Yeah. yeah,
2: like where you guys have like the Carp Fest up here, you guys have a really good walk and wait fishery here. Yeah. Um, Henshaw has not had that for years. I mean, originally it did have a pretty good walk and wade fishery and then it went through a little recession of that, but now the walk and wade fishing there is epic right now. And I think if we got a tournament out there, it's, you'd see numbers like you've never seen from Henshaw. So,
1: uh, the water must be way up then, huh? It, oh, it's way down? I mean, down. it got
2: way up. Uh-huh. Um, it got up to, cause Henshaw is, was one of the biggest water impoundments in Southern California. I mean, it's massive yeah. right now. It's at like 5% of normal. And it's not going to get up above 20% because there's supposedly a crack in there, so they don't want oh. to raise it above that. But a, a while ago, it got up to about 15%, which was really cool to see It flooded up a bunch of trees. But I don't know what triggered it in that lake or what happened or what changed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but something changed in that lake. And we're we're seeing bigger fish than we've ever had. And like I said, we're seeing better walk and wade fishing than we've ever seen before. Oh, that sounds I fun. Mean, There'd be a good chance if there's people out there, you're going to see, you know, five fish being put in and all five fish being over 30 inch fish. Sounds awesome. Which is.
1: Are you, are you cool to talk about uh, the Colorado River and Yuma and yeah. all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and well, the yeah. fishing down there? That's like, that's, a, that's another really yeah. uh, place of interest for, for me. Cause I love fishing, you know, around the Laughlin area for, mm-hmm. for bass and striper and stuff like that. But I haven't been downstream and you, you've been talking to me about fishing down there and stuff. So could you talk a little yeah, bit about that?
2: I mean, it is just a endless maze of fishing down there and a bunch of different stuff from canals for doing carp and bass fishing where you don't even need a, a boat to go do it to some of these larger lagoons, Senator Wash, Ferguson Lake, Lake Martinez, Where you can have, you know, your own boat or you can float tube or you can kayak fish it. You know, it's just starting to get into its good fishing prime, too. So when fishing's slow, other places, you can go out there and it's, you know, 70, 80 degrees during the day and do really well bass fishing out there. Carp fishing, I mean, smallmouth in places, a bunch of different, just so many different things you can do up there. Yeah. on that one and it there are conventional guys that that tap it on guys that kind of showed me that live down in san diego ryan favorite and a few other guys out there yeah. my buddy steve and terry that showed me up in the blight area mm-hmm. um, but i really tend to like that uh the yuma area a little bit more because of you have so many canals down there too that you can do carp fishing grass carp smallmouth bass bluegill All that other stuff. That's what kind of makes it a lot of fun.
1: Okay. Very cool. And a lot
2: of publicly accessible water out there too. Lots of it. Sounds
1: fun. Uh, Definitely want to go check that out. Go, Go fishing with you down there. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Alex, thank you so much for stopping by, my friend. It's my pleasure. It was a great time. I've, I've been talking about having you on uh, my podcast for a while, yeah. and, and I'm glad you stopped by. We got more to talk about, I'm sure.
2: Oh, definitely. We just scratched well, the surface. So next
1: time you come up, we'll sit back down. Definitely sounds good. Carp all right, fest. Well, thanks, man. We'll we'll talk again. And for all you guys listening out there, thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time.
0: It's a Guy Jeans podcast.